There's another podcast you should be listening to, TED Health, a podcast from the TED Audio Collective. Join host Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter as she introduces you to leading health experts and breaks down the health questions you didn't know you had. Learn more about the way your body works and the newest insights changing the medical world, like what a smart bra means for better heart health, three ways to prepare for the next pandemic, and how we can all live healthier lives. Find TED Health wherever you listen to podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. This is White Coat Blackheart. Cream and sweetener. Thank you. That's me. That's yours. You're very welcome. COVID has played havoc with elective surgery. The Canadian Institute for Health Information estimates that 600,000 fewer operations were done during the first year and a half of the pandemic. That's adults and children. Kids have been hard hit. The recent triple-demic of COVID flu and RSV meant pediatric hospitals admitted record numbers of kids in respiratory distress, which in turn meant postponing all but the most urgent operations. In Ontario alone, nearly 12,000 children are on a wait list for surgery. Those are staggering statistics, but behind the numbers are stories, like this one involving a 16-year-old kid and his family. So this is our patient right here. Hello. This is Nathan. (laughs) Hey Nathan, how you doing? Good, how are you? Good. And? Jeff. Jeff. How are you? Good, how are you? Nathan Gilson and his parents Shelley and Alan live in Waterloo, Ontario, where producer Jeff Goods and I came to visit. First day back to school. Really? Since the surgery. Oh wow. So today's his very first day. It's physics, computer programming. One last precious day. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. so everything's been good. You feel good? Yeah. And he's four inches taller and yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. Well, that's one way to do it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Nathan grew four inches because the operation he had straightened his spine, which had been severely curved by scoliosis. It was an operation that was postponed five times over seven long months. Um, Hi, my name is Nathan. I enjoy skiing and mountain biking uh, and and sciences at school and many other subjects. Um. (laughs) <laughs> I'm not really too sure what else to be put on this. So why'd you need surgery? Well, I needed it because I was in a lot of pain every day, and I, it was kind of just messing with my everyday life. I couldn't really do many of the activities that my friends were doing. It just I couldn't sit down at school for an extended amount of time. It just got kind of annoying, and I uh, just needed the surgery to get rid of the pain. When they, when the, when the surgeon and the team laid out the big plan to you, um, what did they tell you they were going to do to you? Did they, did they, were they graphic? Yeah, they were pretty graphic. They described the whole like fifteen-hour surgery and like fifteen hours. <laughs> yeah, and all the uh, implants they were going to use and the forty-seven screws and two rods, all the, all the hardware. This show is about the delay in getting surgery that is essential. What does it feel like at that moment when you know it's been postponed? So like your heart just like sinks into your chest. I mean, it just gets really, you feel disappointed almost like, cause you've been waiting for it for so long. You get so happy about it that you're gonna get it. And then, then just like, you feel really sad and down. Like it would just, it would delay the time that I could have been outside with my friends doing all these activities, like in school, um, doing what I enjoyed doing, but then the delay, uh, like just canceled it and 
just had to wait longer and so you missed a chunk of growing up yeah i did so make you angry <laughs> it does make me angry it just it makes me more sad and disappointed than angry but yeah it does i would say that last question i'm going to ask you um what do you say to other people who are waiting right now like you did I say really just like wait it out because it's going to happen no matter what. I mean, just try and stay as positive as you can through it. Um, and when it gets done in the end, it's extremely worth it. I'm 110 times better than I was before. Uh, yeah, just stay positive throughout the whole thing. Honey, sorry, I know it's totally, that's hard. That's you did, you did incredibly well. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that, Nathan excused himself to get back to his homework. It's unusual to find a teen this happy to get back to school. It's just one of the many ways that delayed surgery affected him and his parents, Shelley and Alan Gilson. Alan, tell me how you found out that Nathan had scoliosis. When we look back at, in hindsight, there was a lot of signs that were pointing in the direction of scoliosis, but we didn't recognize them. Nathan was having a lot of knee issues. He was having a lot of ankle issues. We had him seeing physiotherapists on both those counts. And one day, they were, the kids were swimming, and one of his friends said, what's that lump on your back? And his parents, we had not even noticed it, and I, I feel horrible about it now, but the, we said to his physiotherapist at his next session, said, what is that lump and they looked at it and said well most likely that's scoliosis you should see your family doctor and that was the start of the where we noticed the the issue and the doctor referred us to mcmaster for x-rays how old was he at the time i believe nathan was 14. yeah he was 14 he was just starting grade nine and it, and it seemed very concerning to me now obviously it was in the beginning stages of the scoliosis so it wasn't as bad as it as it did progress significantly, but it was enough to warrant uh, a visit to the doctor. The doctor sent us to Mac and had a team of people look at him, and that's what sent us or started our journey off on this. They said it was the beginning stages of scoliosis, and that that he would be put on about a two two and a half year wait list to receive the surgery. So our concern as parents were, you know, how how much is this going to progress? How is this going to affect him physically? Um, are there going to be any detrimental effects? So we were just, we were devastated just from day one. So when did surgery become a more immediate possibility? In the fall of 22, the, they were or looking at the, the x-rays and examining how far the scoliosis was progressing. And there was a point there where it progressed more than 10 degrees in three months. And that wow. was the, the turning point that they said, you are definitely a, a scoliosis candidate for surgery. Yes. Uh, surgery was his only option at this point. So we had talked about braces for his back. They had given us other options, you know, pain medication. Uh, but we had gotten to the point where he surpassed that and surgery was his only option. And, and what did the doctors say about why surgery was the only option? Like it was surgery or what? What, what were the prospects? What, what, what were you noticing? Obviously, physically, for example, we have a swimming pool out in our backyard and he refused to go swimming one summer. He refused to take, um, because he was just wearing his bathing suit and his back was exposed, he wouldn't go. He'd had from, he would have friends over 
uh, to hang out and he would just sit on the sidelines. He was embarrassed? He Absolutely, he was embarrassed. And at that point, the lump was rather large. It was very noticeable and people would ask him questions. And as a 15 or 14 year old boy at this time, he didn't know how to answer them. He didn't know what to say. The other big thing as his mother is it affected him emotionally, mentally. Uh, it was very, very difficult. He felt that people were looking at him in different ways. They noticed he was different. Um, I felt that his self-esteem was suffering. He didn't want to go out with his friends anymore. And he um, and he was in a lot of pain. So physically, he just could not do a lot of the things that children his age love to do. And as, a, as parents, looking back on it, it was heartbreaking because you want so much to help your children. But for this particular problem, there was nothing I or Alan could do. This was all in the hands of the doctors. And the doctors proposed surgery. What did they tell you about the surgery, Alan? I found it horrifying and fascinating at the same time. It was just, it was unbelievable what he was required to go through. But coming out the other end, the results, although not impossible to have issues, were far better than where he was at. Without getting too graphic, what were some of the highlights? What were some of the things that they, they talked about? It was a 15-hour yeah. operation. Yeah, the the big things, and there's some things that I didn't tell Shelley till afterwards, were the the increase in risk of blindness after 12 hours of being sedated. Um, he And face down, obviously, that increases the risk. Yep, that's a real thing. Postoperative vision loss is a rare but devastating complication from surgery to the spine, heart, and head and neck. The cause is not entirely clear, although it may relate to damaged blood vessels. Then there was something called skull femoral traction, an elaborate and aggressive technique. Most fascinating was the skull femoral traction, where they put a halo on his head and then wrapped his legs and literally physically stretched him to do the surgery to stretch his spine. I just, mm-hmm. I thought that was, I found, we found that out maybe a month before the surgery actually happened. And, and that one was a, well, I, I didn't know that, but it makes sense. I just and, hadn't thought of it. And these are all things that Nathan knew ahead of time going into the surgery. So we believed in being upfront and honest with him about what he was going to experience and the recovery afterwards. So because Nathan also wants to be a, a doctor, he would love to be a pediatrician someday, Um, he was fascinated with the process. So when we would tell him things that the surgeons were going to do on the day of surgery, he would Google them, he'd research them. Uh, He's always been our kid who loves to research things. So he knew right from the get-go what he was going to experience and uh, the pain he was going to endure. And he was a real trooper. How did you as parents prepare for this arduous operation? Wow, that's a loaded question. Yeah. Uh, um, I I believe strongly in my faith, and I did a lot of praying, and I did a, I did a lot of reflecting, and I always believe that things happen for a reason. There's a reason why Nathan is going through this. This is a, there's a reason why our family is going through this, and so we remain positive. And I and we are a very strong family unit. We have a wonderful support system between family and friends, colleagues, and we knew we'd make it through to the other side. So literally hanging on to each other and a lot of praying and trusting that there's a reason why this was all happening. So a lot of emotional preparation, spiritual preparation. Absolutely. 
physical preparation, yes. especially uh, on 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 Nathan's part, intellectual preparation. A lot of very much so. A lot of preparation that goes into this operation. So describe how you felt, or t- describe that moment when you found out the first time that the surgery was postponed. I was devastated. I was absolutely, you could have knocked me over with a feather because I had his bags packed ready by the door. I had people on standby to watch and to check in on our our other son while we were away. You know, I had been given time off at work to be with Nathan in the hospital for the week. So I had all my ducks lined up in a row. And in the blink of an eye, it was the rug was pulled out from under us. And I was absolutely devastated as a mother. How'd you find out? We received a phone call. From who? Uh, I, I guess it was somebody at McMaster. The doctor's yeah, assistant. Yeah, the doctor's assistant. And I thought it was bittersweet. And whether the the truth is there, I don't know. But we were told another family with a more urgent case needed the space. And so on one side, it was bittersweet for us because we were so happy that this other family was able to get the surgery. But on looking back at ourselves, we thought, well, how come it wasn't us? And it, you know, I was, I was torn on that one. They were, they were very upfront with us. Um, they, they let us know that basically it was, you know, I had, I, I guess I correlate it to, you know, a triage system. You know, if somebody came in that needed the surgery, um, it was basically life or death, and that surgery trumped Nathan's, then I, I, I tended to look at it as if I was the mother of that child, right? You were able to do that. I was able to do that and say, you know what, if my child was... It was in a situation where there was it was literally life and death. Absolutely, take that child. As as hard as it was for me to make that connection with another parent, I had to do that. And the reality is, is that Nathan was not going to die from the situation. Is was he in an incredible amount of pain every day? Was he crying? T- you know, um, before he went to bed. Absolutely. Was there anything I could do about it? No. But another family needed that spot, and I could totally understand why they made the decision they did. Was it frustrating? Yes. Did I get angry? Absolutely, I did. I was angry with God. I was angry with the world. Um, Very difficult. And what impact was it having on Nathan, all of these postponements? The majority of the postponements were disappointing only because of the time before the surgery. We were two, three, four weeks ahead of the surgery when they were canceled. It wasn't canceled at the 11th hour, whereas the last one on postponement number five, that one was, we were, we didn't know the weekend before if surgery was going to happen. The anesthesiologist was supposed to call on Friday at before five. They didn't call. We assumed on Saturday that the surgery was canceled because the anesthesiologist didn't call. Sunday, we were, we waffled. It was on, it was off, it was on, it was off. We decided it was off. Monday morning, 20 to eight in the morning, hospital call says he was busy. He just didn't get a chance to call. So he would call Monday at noon. He called. We went through all the paperwork. We were so excited. That was the closest we'd been to surgery. We were, you know, at noon on that Monday, we were ready to go. We were, we were pumped. We were four hours away when we got the call. It was that it was canceled. That it was canceled. Yeah. So we were so close. Like you could, 
you know, we were mentally prepared. We were physically prepared. Bags were packed. Everything was there. And that was the closest that we had gotten to the surgery itself. Before it was yanked. And then it was yanked away. And that one hurt. That one, there was tears. There was swearing. There was in-laws were swearing. There was, you know, there was, there was frustration. And I think the most heartbreaking thing that I heard from Nathan after that last postponement was, they don't care about me, mom. He actually said that. He actually said that to me. He said, everybody else is more important than me. And I broke down into tears that night. I didn't, I, I'm not one to to show my feelings in front of my children, but that broke me as a parent. They don't have, they don't care about me. And what a horrible way to live, you know, to live your life knowing that people just don't, they just, you know, you just keep getting bumped on down the road. And you're you're talking in terms of the emotional impact, but there was a physical impact too. His scoliosis was getting worse. Absolutely, and you know, it, it every month we saw differences. He couldn't he couldn't stand straight. Like his body was physically crooked. So again, when you talk about his self esteem, and kids would tease him and say, you know, like call him the hunchback of Notre Dame. And, really? Oh, absolutely. And like some of the kids were cruel. And so it it really really affected him and his self esteem absolutely because in the beginning stages you couldn't really see it mm-hmm. but as it progressed it was incredibly noticeable. We'll be right back. I'm Keith MacArthur. Unlocking Bryson's Brain is a podcast about my son, the rare disease that keeps him from walking or talking. I mean, Bryson's perfect, but his life is really hard. And our family's search for a cure. Oh my gosh, maybe science is ready for this. It's part memoir, part medical mystery. We can do just about anything. Modifying DNA. My heart in my throat. Cure is controversial. Unlocking Bryson's Brain. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to White Coat Black Art. This week, the impact of delayed surgery on Nathan Gilson. He's a 16-year-old whose surgery to correct severe scoliosis was postponed five times. Untreated scoliosis has physical impacts like increasing pain and deformity. There's also the risk of heart and lung damage, not to mention the emotional fallout on a self-conscious teen. Meanwhile, the curvature to Nathan's spine was getting worse by the month. After five cancellations, his parents, Shelley and Alan, wondered when it would be their son's turn to have surgery. After all of those times when it was postponement, you get the call that it's going to happen. You probably didn't believe them. No, and it's funny you say that because <laughs> on, on, on the sixth time, when, <laughs> it, it was a joke. <laughs> when it was actually happened, we just, we, on one part, we said we were mentally prepared at one point for it to be canceled and then we were ready for it. We were so excited because it was going to happen, but we, we actually didn't even tell people because we'd stopped, we'd stopped believing in the system that it, you know, when it happens, it happens internally. We had discussed it. We knew that it was going to happen or we knew it wasn't going to happen. We didn't want to get our hopes up. And then just like on episode five, when it got postponed, we were, we were ready for that 7 PM phone call. And even Dr. Peterson said it can be canceled till 7 a.m. The, that, the morning of surgery. Yeah. 
or 7.30 a.m. the morning of surgery. And we thought, you know, we're going to make that trip down. And even as we're driving down to the hospital, five o'clock in the morning, I thought, it's <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if they say it's off, you know, we'll just, we'll roll with the punches. But it was. We kind of had a joke between Alan and I that, uh, you know, within a couple of days of his surgery, nobody was to answer the phone <laughs> because we were so tired of receiving bad news. We just wanted it to go through. We've been through it all that Conditioned way. Conditioned to expect another disappointment. Absolutely. Yeah. At that point. Yep. Um, but not this time. But not this time. It, no. it worked through. So no. we went through the the intake process at McMaster. Everybody, we met the surgeon. We met Dr. Peterson again, who was just, he was there at six o'clock in the morning. And, mm. you know, he was there till midnight that, that night working on Nathan. Like it was incredible and met the team and met some of the nurses. And we had a, Shell wears her heart on her sleeve a little more than I do. So I took Nathan in into the OR with him and stayed with him until, you know, the... He was sedated. sedated. The operation took 15 hours. For Alan and Shelley, there was one more long and anxiety-provoking wait for Nathan to wake up from the anesthetic. The wait was so long that the bed promised to Nathan at McMaster Children's Hospital had been given to someone else, and his doctors had to scramble to find one at another hospital. He did finally come around, and they took us out back, and they didn't have a they didn't have a hospital bed for him. So when we when we were admitted first thing in the morning, they we had asked for a private room. We received that private room. When he came out of surgery, that room was given away to somebody else, so they had no room for him. So here I have a child who's on a stretcher, literally hours from surgery. He's all bundled up. There was an ambulance waiting. Hamilton General. Uh, I guess they called down to Hamilton General and, and asked for a bed, and they accommodated Nathan, so he was put in an ambulance. I was put in the ambulance, and we were whisked away. Wow. But before we got on the ambulance, sorry, I'm just sidestepping here, but I had I had kind of kneeled beside Nathan, and he was out of it, and I took his little hand in mine, and I said, listen, honey, if you can hear me, can you squeeze my hand? And he gave me a squeeze, and I said, he's here. He can hear all of us. I said, are you in pain? If, you, if you're if you in pain, give me another squeeze. And he gave me another squeeze. So he was in there. And afterwards, he had said to me, Mom, I could hear everybody. I could hear the ambulance workers. I could hear Dr. Peterson. I could hear you and Dad. But I just couldn't say anything. So we loaded onto the ambulance. It was about a 20-minute drive. It was a bumpy ride. <laughs> um, he was starting to come a little bit more out of it at that point. Um, and they whisked us into Hamilton General, and I stayed with him for a full week, and I, I, I took care of him. The nurses took care of him. We saw Dr. Peterson every single morning. Um, the care we, what we received was uh, extraordinary. Re- yeah. It really was. And how's his recovery been? Knock on wood, the recovery has... We couldn't have asked for a better recovery. I would say textbook. It's, there haven't been any complications we're, we're blessed that way. It, it has been incredible watching him recover. God has been very good to us. Very, very good. The team at McMaster has been very, very good to us. We can't thank everybody enough for, for the love and the support and the encouragement. And uh, yeah, it's just been, it's been wonderful. I can't believe we are at this point in our journey. Our journey has officially closed. It's been two and a half long years of a lot of ups and downs, mostly downs, but 
Yeah, it was, it was the, the, the Alan's birthday was February 1st, and that was his uh, birthday gift. Uh, it was that Nathan had gone to McMaster on that day with Alan, and they received the green light. So that was the best birthday gift we could have ever asked for. Mm. Do you feel like you bear any scars for this long, long period of waiting? I don't know if I bear scars, and, and there's no angst or resentment towards anything. I, I understand from just what's been in the the media with RSV and whatnot, that the hospital's running at 140% capacity. It's running code reds. It's, you know, there's ambulance delays. There's this, there's that. I just, I wanted a way for us to get through the system faster, less anxiety. I don't know what I would have done differently on that side. You, you nodded. He says he's not angry. I have to be honest and say I am angry because I don't believe that any child should have to wait two and a half years for a needed surgery. I feel if he would have received it within the first year, his back would not have progressed. We would have not have had the hip concerns, the knee concerns, uh, the ankle concerns, uh, the neck concerns that we had that he had to go to physio for. And I do blame our government. I'm still angry. The anger doesn't go away just because our son received the surgery. The anger is still there for me. And that's something I'm trying to work through every day. I'm angry with our with our local government. I, government. I'm angry with our provincial government, our federal government, because our healthcare system is in crisis. It is, it's failing. I feel it's failing some of our, our most needed patients. And I'm trying to understand and I'm trying to deal with it the best that I can. But I think there's a lot of responsibility out there that people are not being accountable for. And what do you say to parents whose kids are still waiting right now for Stay important strong. operations? Stay yeah. strong. Stay strong. Stay positive. Keep advocating for your child. When they don't have a voice, you need to be that voice for them. Be the squeaky wheel. And it doesn't matter what other people say or what they think. You have to do what's right for your child. And it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be upset. It's okay to cry, right? But celebrate those those small improvements, those small blessings every day. But um, yeah, just, uh, I mean, if anybody wants to listen to our story or, or talk, I'm here. You have you know? enough on your plate dealing with the operation without having to deal with the delay after delay after delay after delay. Absolutely. You just yeah. got to be strong. You got to yeah. be strong and have faith. You've got both in abundance. Shelly and Alan Gilson, thank you so much for speaking with me. Thank you for uh, allowing me to chat with Nathan. And uh, I hope you have uh, an easier year in 2023. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you very much. We appreciate the opportunity to tell our story. The triple-demic may be in the rearview mirror, but there remains a large number of postponed surgeries in kids. To help clear the backlog, pediatric hospitals in Ontario are hoping to shift less complicated operations to community hospitals. They're also meeting with the Provincial Health Authority to look for new fixes. That's our show this week. If you'd like to comment, our email address is whitecoat at cbc.ca. White Coat Black Art was produced this week by Jeff Goods with help from Amina Zoffer and Stephanie Dubois. Our digital producer is Adam Killick, and our senior producer is Colleen Ross. 
That's medicine from my side of the gurney. I'm Brian Goldman. See you next week. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.